Ocean. We're in Revelation chapter 17, and uh, we have here uh, the scene of the uh, harlot riding on the beast. A lot of imagery here, a lot to uh, get through. Um, first of all, uh, we'll start here at the end of verse 1. Uh, he sees uh, a great prostitute seated on many waters, and with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality, and with the wine of whose sexual morality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. So let me just make a few points right away. Um, John will explain everything as as he, he goes through, particularly in uh, verses um, 7 and following, verse 8 and following. Uh, he actually gives an explanation for, for a lot of it. Uh, but the main thing I wanted us to see as, as we go through this chapter is um, the woman has probably been introduced. In fact, you could probably go back to the uh, churches, the letters to the churches, chapters 2 and 3. There's talk of Jezebel and stuff like that. And I do believe that there is a correlation between uh, Jezebel in the letters and the um, woman here. Her harlotry is is a political harlotry. It's a spiritual harlotry. It's an idolatrous one, which would correspond to Jezebel. Um, she's also was introduced, I think, in chapter fourteen, um, and we just sort of postpone it to to have a fuller discussion here. The main thing we need to see with this harlot riding on the beast is that typical of Revelation is that images are introduced that are uh, to be contrasted with similar images, right? So we, we've seen the dragon, beast, false prophet is a false trinity. It's a mockery of the true trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So too what we have here is a treacherous woman compared to the righteous bride. So we have a harlot on the one hand that's evil, and we have the bride of Christ who, who makes herself ready for uh, for Jesus uh, and the marriage supper of the Lamb, so um, it's it's on purpose that John gives us this this imagery. But notice how she is described, starting in verse three, uh, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Now the word beast takes us back to what we've been seeing the last few chapters. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, it had seven heads and ten horns. So all these numbers are significant. Seven and ten show up all all, all over the place. Uh, seven horns and or ten horns and all that sort of stuff shows up in uh, Daniel. Verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abomination and impurities of her sexual immorality. Notice the golden cup on the outside is common imagery in the Bible. On the outside uh, depicts beauty and royalty, but on the inside is, is full of poison. Jesus uses the same illustration to describe the Pharisees. Verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Notice again uh, forehead. Um, the more I read Revelation, the more I think that, that, that marking on the forehead is a matter of identity. So those who are, have the mark of the beast identify with him. Those who have the mark of Christ identify with him. And here on her forehead it says, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of, the, of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, whatever we do with this woman and the beast and all the other imagery, the, the king, or, or the, yeah, say the kings already, uh, but, but you see that the, uh, the horns and, and all that sort of stuff, um, all of this, I think, must fit within the context of what we see at the end of verse 6, uh, that she was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. It's parallelism. Uh, the, the blood of the saints is the blood of the martyrs. And so remember that Revelation is written to people who have some internal threats from heresy and whatnot, 
but their main threat is coming from external forces. So you have Rome in general, but also each area is governed by a governor, like Pilate or Herod. There are others, and and uh, they are persecuting the Christians, some worse than others. We see this in Acts. We see it in, in Paul right in 2 Corinthians, right? That he, he goes through the litany of all the places he, he suffered. And so whatever we think of the woman and, and the beast, it has to fit within the context of the persecution of, of, of believers. Um, and so starting in verse 7, we get the uh, explanation of it. So the angel... Um, explains the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carry her, right? So this is imagery. It's apocalyptic imagery. Here's the explanation. Start in verse 8. The beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Now, again, there's contrast here. The, 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 the beast here is coming out from the abyss. Later we will see Christ coming down out of heaven, riding on a horse, Right, um, and uh, so so that contrast is purposeful. Now, the, the one of the challenges here is that the beast here sounds like the beast that we've been seeing. It also looks like the dragon. Right? The dragon comes out from, from from the abyss. It is the dragon who who was and is not and 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 is to come. So so I think, and I could be wrong on this. What you have is a convergence of the dragon and the beast. Right, so, so one may may uh, the the beast may represent a political influence or whatnot. The dragon being the supernatural influence, Satan himself. I think I could be wrong again. John is putting these two images together, right? So you have the dragon and, and the beast. Uh, that language of was is not is about to rise uh, is probably a reference to Rome, um, in that you have Caesar's coming. Uh, like Nero being assassinated, yet uh, just being replaced, Rome keeps going. Just when you think Rome has been destroyed, it, it comes back all the more strong. Um, the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Uh, verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. We saw the same thing before in the mark of the beast. The seven heads are seven mountains, or your translation may say seven hills, on which the woman is seated. Now, there's a lot here. Notice, the seven heads uh, of the beast equal seven hills. Now, that phrase, seven hills, going all the way back to about 100, 200 years before this book was written, um, even perhaps even longer before that, Rome was described as the seven hills, right? So, um, and we have other imagery. This is a common way to describe we have um, 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 poetry and books that describe Rome in this way. We have statues uh, where where the the goddess of Rome is is standing over seven hills. So this is a common imagery. So so that tells us that what at the very least what John has in mind here is Rome itself. This is why remember what we said in Revelation. You can read everything as in the past. It's all about Rome or Jerusalem, or you can read it as everything's going to happen in the future. Or you can mix the two, which is my answer. I believe that that Revelation is written to believers living at the time of of, of, of of its revelation, and so its message affected them, which meant Rome. And we saw uh, yesterday, I believe it was Pergamum, right? Some of the language used of of uh, uh, the throne of the beast, referencing Pergamum. Um, but I also believe that what you have in Rome is a pattern that didn't begin with Rome; it began with 
um, Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persians and the Greeks, according to Daniel, there's a pattern that continues, that empires rise, target the people of God, and come under the judgment of God. But then another empire will rise, right? Um, and I think this is a, a text that, that really demonstrates that for us. So you have the, the seven heads equal the seven heels of, of Rome, and then you also see seven kings, and the seven heads are seven mountains. Uh, verse 10, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain only a little while. Now, uh, two ways of reading this. Um, actually, there's multiple ways of reading this, but I want to emphasize two. One is to see the seven kings as the seven Roman emperors. Now, the problem with that is, who's the first Roman emperor according to your timeline? And how do you count some of these? If you start with Julius Caesar, um, I think the sixth is Nero. Uh, don't quote me on that and write it all down. Uh, I think the sixth is Nero, which could have been the identity of the 666, 666, Mark of the Beast. Um, but then after Nero comes three short-lived uh, emperors, which is striking language because you have seven kings, five of whom have fallen, and if the other uh, one is, that would be Nero, I believe, and the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. His reign is about seven months. In fact, after Nero, you have three Caesars uh, within a 12-month period. It was after that third one died that the guy uh, trying to conquer Jerusalem, uh, Vespian, I believe is his name, uh, he comes, sets things in order, leaves Titus behind to finish the job in Jerusalem. Titus will eventually become emperor after his, his father. And so I think that's a possibility. It's got some challenges to it, but it's got some possibility to it. Others see uh, this language of seven kings um, and the language that follows as consistently referencing empires. And so if we borrow the language of Daniel, you could have Babylon, Assyria, Neo-Babylon, Medo-Persians, Greece, Rome that is, and then a future kingdom. And if, if that's your view, then what you have then is, is the, the book of Revelation applying to Rome as it is, so to those Roman believers, and also to future readers under different empires. I think that's a very real possibility. Um, then it goes on to verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. It goes to destruction. Now, a lot of debate about that is very confusing sins. What I think it's saying is he is separate from, thus the eighth, yet he is also the power behind the seven. Do with that whatever you want. Verse 12, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. Now, there's, there's just some, some complications here. One, the language of ten horns comes from Daniel. Uh, so, so it would be helpful to go back and, and, and dive into that. Those who hold to a preterist view of Revelation, that is that Revelation is fulfilled in the first century at the destruction of, of the temple in AD 70, they argue that there were 12 governors, like Pilate, you know, or there's, there's 10 of them. And thus, what you have is they're being described. They have authority. They don't have ultimate authority. Uh, I think there's some problems with that because what you have here today, it was, seems to be a, a rebellion. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't really know what all, all to do with some of that. Um, and then down to verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords, King of kings. And those 
with him are called and chosen and faithful. So notice that that they come with him. Again, I think this is another reference to the day of the Lord. We've seen s- several of these. He had Armageddon, Armageddon in, in, in previous chapter. This could be describing the, the same event. I, I don't know. Verse 15, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the waters equal um, uh, just people in general. And the ten horns you saw, they and the beast um, will hate the prostitute. Um, and thus the, the woman here is likely Babylon the Great. Now Babylon is, at the very least, it is Rome... But remember, Rome is a pattern of behavior of, of empires. Verse 18, And the woman saw that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So Babylon or Rome. Okay. So so what, what do we do with this? Well, we must remind ourselves of the original context by which this is written. The point is, and we've seen this pattern in many of the chapters, God's judgment will come down upon those who persecute um, those who are redeemed in this life or the next it is also a warning that this is a pattern of empires this is a pattern of nations that in a lust for power and influence uh, what you will get out of that is corruption and wickedness and out of that wickedness which is part of a broader spiritual warfare uh, the people of God will be targeted and suffer there is no perfect empire there is no perfect kingdom this is a robust theology of the state that often Christians today neglect. So don't be surprised that as we become a post-truth, post-Christian society, that we become hostile to people of faith. That will increase apart from a great revival. But the good news is, is you can make war against the lamb, but the lamb, the lion lamb, will triumph in the end. And that's our great hope. So don't get in bed with this woman. Rather, make yourself ready as the bride of Christ. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.